were actually seeing conception rates then and of kind of 95, 96%, which was a, a big leap forward from where actually said we were kind of in the low 80s. And our firing rate was kind of at 92, 93%. So that was October time of 2020. And it was really March, April, May, when we started to really, I suppose, peel back the layers and affect change. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Pig Edge, Chagas's Pig Podcast with me, Amy Quinn where we are bringing you the latest news, information and advice to keep Irish pig farmers up to date. In 2016, Chagas opened the Chagas Pig Research Facility in Moorpark, County Cork, a facility which many of you are familiar with. On this episode, I'm joined by Tomás Ryan and Ashling Holmes, who are in charge of the day-to-day running of the unit, to reflect on some of the changes they have made in the unit over the past number of years and their motivations as to why. I started by asking Tomás to set the scene by telling us how the unit operated when it first opened. Yeah, Amy. So as you said, yeah, the first animals came into the site here in the bank holiday weekend of June 2016. And I suppose just to set the background around the animals, the genetics we brought in were from Hermitage Genetics at the time. They were F1 large white land race cross skills and they came in pregnant. So they came in roughly 100 days pregnant. So within a number of days, we were up and running. The sow is sized on a 200 sow unit and we operate in a three-week batch system. So just a small bit of background on the batch system. So that essentially means that we have one task for each week. So it's firing, serving, and weaning over the three weeks. The growing pigs, I suppose, how that looks then is we have in this unit just a single stage weaner accommodation. So they come in there and we spend about six, seven weeks there. And then our finishers then, we're predominantly wet dry feeders in the unit. And one of our five production batches actually goes to a wet feed. And we have some child facilities also. And I suppose just like it is, first and foremost, it's a pig unit, but it's also a research facility. So I think for people just to bear in mind that when we do try to adopt change, it can be quite restrictive. And a lot of the trials we run here have kind of a lot of longevity and a lot of replicates and like things even like firing house trials with lactation and stuff, they take a long time to work through. So I suppose that's essentially the background of the unit we run here at Moorpark. It's been seven years, I suppose, since the unit opened. And in more recent years, you've made a few changes into, into how you operate the unit. What were the main triggers, I suppose, for making these changes? Yeah, seven years wasn't long gone by. Yeah, I suppose we got the unit up and running first in 2016, 2017, obviously a cohort of 200 gills coming in. So things are constantly moving in their own right there. Gills are moving into later priority sows and born alive is changing and lactation feeding intake is changing. So I really, this was the first couple of years we're really getting to grips with that. And we had a lot of research was backed up waiting for the facility to happen. So before we could ever really get a handle on the sows, I suppose, and how the unit was running, we had a lot of research layers in there kind of clouding it up and making it quite noisy. So I suppose a couple of things kind of came together quite nicely for us. I'm not sure too many people would describe the arrival of COVID as an opportunity, but for us, it kind of was. And it, it I suppose it took the foot off the gas from the research side. A lot of that work was shelved or postponed or stopped. And we were allowed to kind of, I suppose, look at the unit for what it was and the herd for what it was. So we could really start looking at things without all that interference of the research and the layers of noises, I said it was, to that. I suppose the other lucky thing that happened around the same time as COVID was we actually recruited two new staff, one of which is Ashling, who's here speaking with us today, and another John Condon out, out in the farm staff side. And it was an apt and opportune time really to have new staff, to have a new approach, to try and strip things back and see what was what. So look, we looked at the practices we had, we reviewed them, we fine-tuned them. And I suppose little by little, we were able to re- rebuild things back up. And I suppose the, the fruits of that really were then that instead of kind of having, I suppose, a herd here that was kind of 
compromised by the research. We were able to have a herd that was really true to itself and would actually kind of add to the research we were doing and enhance it. So I suppose that was really the main triggers of the main situation we found ourselves in. Ashling, there's been a good few changes. So if we focus firstly on the farrowing house, what were the main changes that were made here? Yeah, so I suppose one when, as Tomal said, we started reviewing the system and reviewing different areas and seeing what was being missed and looking at it from a different perspective, really. And uh, what I saw when I came in was we had a farrowing rate of 80% and this farrowing rate was coming from us having more sows in a batch than was actually needed to compensate for the 80% rate. And this, I kind of thought this shouldn't be, we should be higher than this and we should be able to try and focus on the little things everywhere and see if that would make differences. So we looked at the routine that was currently in place and decided to have like a strict scanning day because with the batch system, if you're missing any nips in the three-week batch system and you miss them at that opportunity, then they're sitting there for another three weeks again. So really they're six weeks later before you start seeing them. And this throws everything off. So by having that strict scanning date, it allowed things to be more streamlined. Another area was the ultrasound routine. So we looked at it and just decided on a time. So every day at 10 o'clock, that's when the sows are getting ultrasound. And the difference that made from those, as in the sows that we were lining up to join into the batch, it was huge. Like I'd say 90% of those sows, or 100 most of the time, was they were ready to be served and join the next batch. Other small areas in the unit, I'd say, was the AI when it came into us here, making sure that it was being turned regularly. The sows were nice and clean when they were going into the service stalls, which doesn't seem like a big thing. But when you're AIing those sows, you want to make sure that you're giving them the you're given that chance for it all to work perfectly. So all those little things make a difference. Another side of that then was, as I said, we kind of looked at the work plan when we were looking at the firing rate and looking at scanning and stuff. We looked at the three-week work plan in the unit and looked at it with the staff and looked at what days actually make sense rather than what days we're currently doing it on and just follow that pattern. What makes sense in the work plan to put on the different days and what will work with the staff and will make more make the unit more efficient? And then that obviously, as Tomas said, we are a research unit, so that has to always be overlapped with the research work from the students. So we had our weekly meetings with the students and would integrate that onto the work plan. And it just, it made it more streamlined and everybody knew what was going on at different times. And likewise, if somebody was out sick, most everybody else in the unit would be able to kind of fill that gap because they knew what was happening in the different sections. So yeah, I suppose a combination of all those small changes brought our firing rate up to where it is currently, which is the 90 to 91%. That's quite a big increase. How long do you think that it took for that increase to happen? What would you say to most? Probably about a year or so, really. Like, because it took us a while to, during 2020, when I started here, I'd say until 2020 to 2021, we were in that middle section where we were reviewing everything and looking at what actually could be moved and what could be tweaked. And from 21 to 22, we were starting to implement it. So we would have seen that increase happening then throughout that year. And it's stayed steady, I suppose, since then, really. 
Yeah, yeah, because I just remember when we did the first virtual pig week due to COVID, when we couldn't have the pig farmers conference in in person, that was October of 2020. And we were actually seeing conception rates then and of kind of 95, 96%, which was a, a big leap forward from where actually said we were kind of in the low 80s. And our farrowing rate was kind of at 92, 93%. So that was October time of 2020. And it was really March, April, May, when we started to really, I suppose, peel back the layers and affect change and see the fruits of all those inputs. And it was, as Ashton said, just a, it was no silver bullet. It was just a, a series of like rigid routines and incremental increases and effectiveness, which the sum of, of all together just kind of produced the results we were looking for. But it, it is attention to detail based. Yeah. And if we move on from there into the firing rooms, there's been some changes here as well, hasn't there? Yeah. So I suppose one of the bigger issues that we were seeing was retained piglets in the sow. So the sow would appear like she was finished firing and actually would have one or two piglets more to come up. And there was lots of bad effects from that, either the sow not recovering fully post-firing or needing more antibiotics than they should to kind of recover from that incident. And what we, when we looked at that more closely in the same way as we did with the serving and everything around that, when we looked into the firing rooms, I think a lot of messages and communication was being lost between staff working different areas and there wasn't a good enough system in place to give accurate feedback on the firing timeline, which is crucial. Like it should, you should be able to walk into the firing room and know what's happening with this sow in pin five, like when did she have the last piglet and how long is it since she's had a piglet? Are we concerned that she's, that she, maybe a piglet is stuck? Are we happy that she's fully finished and we can start tagging those piglets and give her pain relief? So there's, it should be looked at and monitored in a nice timeline. And I suppose my background is coming from veterinary nursing and that's something we would have done all the time is recorded everything really. So I kind of brought that element into the firing rooms to try and make the system better in there for being able to know what's happening, when it's happening and why is it happening. And with the Southcards many versions to try and get the version that worked. So I know the first time I did up a Southcard and brought it in, I thought it, it would be great, but I wasn't looking at it. I was looking at it from the side of capturing the most information, but not looking at it from the guys inside in this in the unit trying to record all this information and still get their job done and still look at the sow and have time to care for her. So it's that balance between it becoming a data exercise of writing down everything versus actually doing the job and monitoring the animal and caring for her and caring for the piglets. So yeah, the one the version that we have now is a nice A4 sheet, but there's plenty of information on it and it's a good balance. And it helped us to diagnose the issues that we were having with the retained piglets. We ended up reviewing all that and we switched our induction routine, used a different type of, of induction. And then up to, we, we increased our timeline for it as well. So sows are being induced now up to 48 hours pre-due date, sometimes 12 hours. It's like 12 to 48 hours is the timeline there, depending on what's happening in that week. And it's great. We're not seeing any ill effects of it. If anything, it's it's making everything better inside there. And a different thing as well, I'd say in the firing rooms from a change perspective is our creep feeding. You can go into the firing rooms and you can dish out creep and you can walk out again and that you can tick a box and say that you've done your job. 
or you can go in there and look at it and see what are the key points in actually getting these piglets to eat that creep. So for us, we looked at the creep being as fresh as possible for as long as possible and decreasing the amount of wastage with that creep. So the first few days that the piglets start on creep, not more than a handful goes into those creep feeders. And if they play with that handful, that's okay because it's getting them used to it and they're getting the smell of it and they're just seeing for what it is. And it's not a huge amount wasted and they're not looking at it as a toy. And then as they start to eat it, we'll start increasing how much we're giving them more and more up until we saw in those last seven days, some of the litters are eating enormous amounts of that creep. So we actually implemented having a bigger creep feeder So it's a step up from the one that we put in on the first day and it has a large canister on the top of it. So when the guys are finishing up in the afternoon, they can make sure that those canisters are filled up. So we're giving the piglets every opportunity to eat that creep during the night before somebody's in again in the morning time. Yeah, there would be they'd be the main big changes, I'd say, in the firing rooms. And are you seeing an effect of this on the piglets? Yeah, yeah. We're definitely weaning big pigs at, uh, at weaning. So I don't know if it's been mentioned in some of the videos that are, that go out, but like our range is from six, six and a half kilos all the way up to 12 and a half kilos, with the average being 8.6 at the moment. So they're very big pigs that are being weaned. And something I'm looking at now this summer is to try and see if we can get a grasp on how much kilos of creep are they actually eating? And is there differences between different litters and what that shows? So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what the average is that the litters do eat in those 16 days that they have access to it and then and look at the differences and see, can we figure out why? So these changes in gestation in the farrowing rooms, they led on to even more changes, I suppose, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So One of the big changes was that we changed our weaning date. So we implemented that. We only actually implemented that this year. So say from January of 2023, we pushed our weaning date back a day. So we would have weaned always on Thursday and now we wean on a Wednesday. And what this meant then is from our service side, our sows now were coming in heat and ready to be served more so on a Sunday and a Monday. And then the knock-on effect of that is that into the firing side of things, our main firing day now is Wednesday. Previously, our busiest days would have been Thursday. And when your busiest day in firing in a batch system is Thursday, you still have firings happening on Friday and sometimes into Saturday and Sunday. And it's almost the following Monday before you can have a good overview of what's happening in the firing rooms and what's happened with that batch at the firing stage on top of firings going into the weekend when there's less staff here and there's less observation and I suppose more opportunities for something small to go wrong to be a bigger issue because the time if you get me the time can be quite long between if something happens on a Saturday and it's not great and before there's a full staff in again on Monday that's too long when you're talking about firing. So as I said, now our main day is Wednesday. 95% of our firing is finished up by that Thursday. So by the Friday, you have a good grasp of what's going in and going on in the firing rooms. You know 
what's happening where they're all finished up. You can look at litter sizes, look at your sows and have a good overview before you go into the weekend. And it just helps to know what's happening there. It also is great from the labor side as well. Just moving that weaning day by one for us helped condense the jobs that bit more. We've no huge important tasks going into the weekend and we're trying to make the I suppose all the busiest side of things happen in that Monday to Friday from a workload point of view. Tomas, if we look at the grower side of things, what's changed here? Yeah, in ways a lot, in some ways not a lot. Like as Ashling alluded to there, the farring house is our, I always refer to it as like our sows of the engine, it's the machine that makes everything happen. So when you affect good things in the farring house, it, it rolls out into the rest of the unit and things become much easier. I suppose if we just start at leaving the farring house, our weaning weights, as you said, like our pigs are around 8.6 kilos now. Our creep intake, as you said, is a big focus. I always kind of reiterate like that, like pigs are converting creep at kind of pretty much a one is to one ratio. So every fistful of creep that goes out is roughly 100 grams. And that's 100 grams of body weight. And that's the way I kind of look at it, like feeding pigs in the farring house, that every fistful is body weight and it's maturing a gut and it's making the next step easier. I suppose if we just look at the numbers of it, we're probably weaning, you know, 115 or 120 kilograms of piglet per sow at weaning. They're coming out, as you said, 8.5, 8.6 kilos. We do wean in intact litters, which is another very important component. And we're lucky to be able to do it with our pen sizes here. But obviously, it's a big stressor less in the system not to be mixing. We are probably looking at our current feeding regime or protocol post weaning is roughly a 22, 25 kilo bag kilogram bag of starter at weaning which is say roughly five or six days and then we move on to about 13 days of link i think with our weaning weights now and our kind of exposure to creep pre-weaning and seeing how mature our, our pigs digestive systems are and the weight they have we can probably i'd say reduce that link down by maybe even four or five days and get them onto weaner that bit earlier we have uh, originally we were kind of I suppose, well, originally looking at when we started the unit, we kind of spec'd our wiener accommodation around eight weeks available growing time. We never utilized all that. We were at around 46, 47 days up until this year. And with the change in weaning day then, we also took the opportunity to reduce our wiener stay time in that single stage accommodation. So now we're actually transferring around 43 days out to the finisher. I would have, I would touch on this quite regularly in the update videos. Over the last couple of years, our, our target weight's a transfer. So like we've dropped a couple of kilos there at target weight to transfer. Pigs are coming across at around 31, 32 kilos now. But if anything, we're seeing a benefit to getting them out of that weaner accommodation earlier and into our finishing accommodation earlier. Compensatory growth definitely kicking in. And uh, there's definitely no net loss over time. If anything, there seems to be a net gain. Moving to the finisher side of it then, as I said, they're over earlier. Uh, so the downside to moving them over earlier is that we've less downtime in our finish your accommodation from a turnaround point of view or washing point of view. I always, it's a luxury we have in Moorpark and over commercial herds and units, they don't have this kind of generosity in downtime. But we have one week now in our finishers. So we empty on the Thursday and we fill it the following Thursday. So what that plays out is I suppose we're washing kind of Friday or Thursday afternoon, Friday, Saturday. We try to have all the washing done then into the weekend and disinfect on Monday and then have kind of two full drying days then 
which would be Tuesday and Wednesday for filling on Thursday. And that, that works quite well. Conversely, then obviously we've gained a week of downtime in the wieners, which is a benefit, but it, we currently have two weeks of downtime in our wieners now because with the batch system and with three production batches in, of wieners on the go, we don't have any other pigs to put into it until the next weaning. So it's their downtime where the accommodation is sitting idle. But that, that can only be a good thing to have downtime. So as I said, it is a luxury we have. So that's kind of where the wiener and finisher accommodation and timelines are at. I suppose just to look at a little bit in performance, I think what I said this in my last update video, looking at kill-out weights for the first quarter of 2023 versus the first quarter of 2022, that would be about a quarter, obviously, of our year sales, which is about 1,500 pigs. We were up about six to eight kilos on carcass weight and that up eight kilos in 2023 over 2022. Look, there, there's lots of factors, I suppose, in that, but that's definitely where we're seeing the benefits of, of those changes in the growing phase. You're getting impressive growth rates. What are you putting that down to? Yeah, we, we are. Look, I suppose some of the factors I've mentioned already with downtime and moving pigs earlier and, and trying to work with the animal as much as we can, that's obviously going to be a big factor. Uh, I suppose like, it's the sum of all the pieces really that go into everything. I, I suppose we are probably fortunate here in that we would feed a high spec diet to our finishers. As I said, our starter and link regime probably at the moment is quite generous also. But looking at the finisher side, really, we're, we're going through the the vast majority of our feed. Our lysine is probably a little bit on the generous side. Our amino acids are probably high protein is too. We could look at tapering them back. I suppose when I see the growth pattern within our finisher pigs, once we get to kind of 80, 85 kilos, they really do tend to grow quite quickly then up until sale weight. So we probably are in the position now where we're starting to have conversations around introducing phase feeding and a second finisher diet and reducing down I suppose the power in that finisher diet in that latter phase to try and look at the balance, the economics of it with the growth. But I suppose when you look at these things in, in isolation, it's hard to make sense of them. And what ultimately we have to kind of balance in our own minds is, are we happy with a 22, 23 week growth rate putting up with these with the economic cost of the diet we're putting into our pigs? Or are we happier with a lower sale weight, possibly a longer stay time in the unit, less downtime for a lower lower input cost in our diet? So look, that's something we have to kind of, I suppose, puzzle on and think about. But I would attribute, obviously, the vast majority of our performance to the diet, Amy. What is the economic cost of the diet? Well, I suppose, look, we're paying as much for a finisher diet really as anybody else's. We would manufacture a lot of our own diets here in Moorpark. So we're probably not as competitive as the bigger units on our straights and things like that. But on our compound diet, we, we bring in a lot of compound diet for our finishers because we focus really our production on all the experimental diets that we have to make here. And then we manufacture all our own diets outside of finisher just because of the sheer volume of finisher that we go through. I suppose putting it on a pig basis, like you're probably only talking cents per, per kilogram in feed. But I think if our pigs are, I won't say overperforming, but performing quite well, it's not really the economic saving, but it's probably even you could view it from a sustainable standpoint is in, do we just have too much power in our diet? And can we really reduce that 
that power load or the vitamin and mineral premix, or as I said, the lysine percentage or how finely tuned our amino acids are with, without ultimately compromising growth. That would be exactly where you want to get to. Ultimately, you just want enough component in the diet to produce your optimum growth. You don't want any extra, but you don't want any less. And we have done work here in the past, I know with Edgar in, in 2019 on lysine reduction and crude protein. And what we probably will do is go back to those figures and base it on the genetics of our herd and how things perform to assess where we can re- reduce that excess energy probably that we're providing with the pig, to the pigs that, that they probably don't need. Another significant change in the unit is that we're now breeding our own gills. Tomas, can you talk us through the rationale and logistics of this? Yeah, so yeah, a very significant change. So I suppose, look, at the start of this chat, I would have said we're like a 200 cell unit and we brought in all our gills were purchased. And we had up until last year, routinely bought in replacement gills. Now, the thinking around this at the very start of the foundation of this herd at Moore Park with this opening of the unit in 2016 was ultimately that in a 200 cell herd, we needed all animals available for research work. And by that, I mean, like, obviously, we need the same genetic base for our entire breeding herd for work with them. When you run a batch system, obviously, you only have you have seven batches in the unit at any one time. And that divides into kind of 20, 28 animals. And that works nicely from a research point of view. If we were to really start breeding our own replacements for the off, we felt that we would be bringing that number back down to around the 23, 24 mark. And that's just from the south side. The progeny side then would probably be even affected disproportionately so all our accommodation here is based our wiener rooms are based on 30 pens and so is our finisher accommodation so we were really looking at trying to run at least 28 pens on trial every time to kind of mirror those number of sows say pigs and pens of 11 or 12 and that's where the real bulk of our work goes through now as I, i kind of said like we are constrained in this unit from change in lactation trials are one of those constraints which run over a very long period of time. Now, if I if we needed, say, 100 sows for an experiment and we were firing them down in at guaranteed 25 at a time, that's four replicates of sows going through the firing house. Now, you're firing down every three weeks, so the minimum run you have there is 12 weeks. If we had that diluted with a replacement herd of gills as well, then we'd be looking at 23s or 22s, and we'd probably be looking at five replicates, which adds another three weeks to that side of the house. But also, whenever you're kind of implementing a treatment or a change in your firing house from a trial side, the progeny are going to be followed all the way through to slaughter also. So you're looking at another 22 weeks again. So it's the 22 weeks plus the 12 or 16 weeks to get through the firing house. So all of a sudden you've lost a year. So that's what I mean is, is in how kind of diluting our 200 sound number can affect change and can slow us down. I suppose why we decided to make the move then, I suppose, was really looking at the efficiencies we'd gained in our own herd how we were going to kind of use that to our benefit. So we're producing, as I said, more pigs now, heavier pigs. Our sows are more productive. We have less non-productive days, less nips, less passengers in the facility. So I suppose the efficiencies were there really to take the opportunity and allocate, say, 10 or 12% of sow herd to breeding our own gills. So we started that last year. What we did was we brought in pure lines of large white uh, gills, We've crossed them here with Landrace AI, so we still have our large white Landrace cross F1 gills. The, the pure lines come in from Hermitage PIC. We fired them down. The processes, as Ashley said, we have quite an intensive process in our firing house anyway. So every 
piglet that's born here is individually weighed and tagged and can be traced back to its to its own mother and litter all the way through its lifespan here in the unit. So from the from that point, we had a very reliable system in place already to monitor our gills. We would look at teeth numbers and stuff pre-weaning. We'd set the minimum bar like at 15, 16 available teeth, so notch the pigs. We developed some old research buildings into kind of new, I suppose, group housing for these gills where we could rear them kind of away from the mainstream of the unit in their own place and really focus on them. They're fed an individual gilt developer diet down there. They're monitored quite closely. And obviously we call them out as they move along the way for different ailments or confirmation, conformity, it's kind of gait and how they move. And then they come up, come back up to the unit then near the end for when we need to start putting them on ultras and like, like we would have when we just purchased them in before. So that system has gone well. It's been a learning curve. I suppose the first skills now are due to Farrow in, in a couple of months' time. We'll finally get to reap the benefits of all our hard work over the last number of months in the logistical planning. So the downside to where that's left us at the moment is obviously we weren't quite on the ball with when we decided to implement breeding our own replacements. So there's quite a lag time in, in obviously, as I just said, bringing in your pure lines, crossing them breeding those animals out along, serving those animals and firing down those animals to get your terminal progeny that you ultimately want for the unit. So our parity profile has increased. We had it in a really good place and that it's been a victim of this particular work. We've probably gone like from a good distribution across zero to six out to probably three to eight now. But we are kind of starting to put animals into the system, as I said, with the last couple of months, we're firing in a couple of months. So I'm hoping by January 2024, will be kind of where we want to be from a sow herd point. Yeah, so it's, that's a long convoluted answer to, to, to where we are really on our breeding policy. And where do you see the sow herd size at now? Yeah, okay. So look, as we sit here and talk today, our herd now has probably the main cohort of the remnants of the herd we started with coming into this exercise has probably halved. We're probably down at 100 parity 3 to parity 8 old F1 sows. With that, then we probably have 20 20-ish purebreds on site and our F1 gills coming in, having been served into the last, I think, four batches now with another two or three to go to complete the cycle and then we'll be going on again. So look, our target number, I think, for the herd now going back up is probably around the 170 mark rather than going any higher than that. As I just mentioned previously, the one, the 200 before was kind of giving us a target of around 28 farrowings per batch based on the 170 now we'll probably have a target firing number of around 23 to 25. It'll be slightly staggered because we'd probably try to carry the batches that carry our purebred sows that'll be constantly producing our replacements. They'll probably have two or three more sows in them than the normal terminal progeny batches, as we call them. So I think the 170, I think, is probably a high enough number to go to. Yes, we'll have extra capacity in our firing house, but if anything, the efficiencies we've gained in our firing house are putting you know, the rest of the unit under pressure. So I think we need to correct the balance within the firing house to allow that change and those benefits to, to filter out along the way through our wieners and finishers and reap, reap the benefits out there. Like when we look at herd efficiency and we talk about born alive, like in the last two or three years since we started incrementally changing things and increasing performance, we're probably looking at a 10% increase in our born alive from, from the 15 mark up up around to 16 now. We're looking at probably a 10% increase in pig numbers out along the way and growth. Like if I talk about the kilograms of weaning, that's one point where our pigs are actually under quite a bit of pressure now is that the last few days, 
pre-weaning because we have, as I said, upwards of 115 or 120 kilos of pig in that pen that's been weaned out. And that would be probably, could be anywhere from 20, 15 to 20 kilos over and above where we were two or three years ago. So that's, that's a, lot of, lot of, a lot of increase that has to be allowed for out along the way. Now, obviously, we're going, we're doing our bit with long tail research here at the moment and different enrichment. And I think we need to carry just less stock throughout the unit to, to really allow that work to happen efficiently. Ashling, would you be able to take us through some of the numbers on that for us? Yeah, no worries. Tomas will have kind of touched on some of it there. But so the batch system is seven batches. And as he said, we'll, with the 170 approximately target herd, we'll be hitting 23 to 25 per batch. The hope is to have purebreds in every second batch. And then this will allow us to keep our system up of of breeding our own gilts and getting them through the system without, I suppose, taking over the system too much like we had to in the last year to, to get to a good level of available gilts for the herd. I suppose a big thing as well, where we've put in, we're starting to, to breed, sorry, to serve the F1s into the batches. And as Tomas said, there'll be, the first of them will be firing in a few months time. But in line with this, we also have quite a, a big transition period between now and January 2024, where we have to call out a lot of the sows because, as he said, our parity profile has gone from three to eight, sometimes nine, and we need to bring that back down to zero to six. And that's going to take a lot of time to to adjust and move the batches around to, to fit into that and make it work well. But from a numbers point, I suppose previously we would have been hitting 28 sows per batch and weaning about 380 piglets on average from those numbers. And now we're going to be looking at 23 in one batch, 25 in the next batch. And we're kind of projecting our weaning to be in around 330 piglets if we're working off previous number projections that we've had all going well, I suppose, where every as Tomas said, we came across a lot of different stumbling blocks when we entered this process of breeding our own gilts. And I remember one of the things was <laughs> trying to plan it out. Like I am, I'm, I like planning and I like having a system and I like writing things down in Excel and looking at what we can follow and stuff. But with this, it was like the more I planned, the more questions I had on where we were going and how we were moving things around. So we are in that phase where we're hoping everything is going to work well for us. And the purebred sows that we've had in the unit that we've got the progeny from, they've been amazing and really just slotted into the herd really well and performed really well. So we're hoping the F1 gilts from them are going to have the same attributes. If we look to the future, what challenges or future changes do you see coming down the line for the unit? Yeah, well, yeah, like, the, the, yeah, there's always something coming down, be it like the research work that's coming or be it the work we want to do with the herd ourselves. I suppose, look, what's in front of us all and has been for a while that we've been trying to grapple with, work into incrementally tails research here, long intact tails work in Moorpark. We have, I'd say, over the last number of months and ongoing now, probably 30 to 40% of all our pigs produced are with long tails. And there's a lot of intensive work happening in the farring house and in the wiener accommodation around different sources of enrichment. I know in our farring house, we're providing, we have a rope treatment as a control, and then we're looking at straw, hay and haylage going into the sows. And there's a lot to be looked at in there, and there's a lot of sides to it. From a research point of view, I have one hat on, and we're trying to design experiments and protocols and implement them efficiently and 
do our best there. Like it's lovely to see sows nesting, pre-farrowing and utilizing enrichment somewhat like, like they would in their natural environment. But then with my other hat on, I was kind of looking at the performance of the unit and how we can keep standards as high as possible. You see a lot of this enrichment coming back in the pen, back towards the piglet side, gathering up dirt and becoming wet. And it's really trying to balance the positives with the negatives of that and just trying to, to, to come across to come across a solution that's, that's of benefit to all aspects of pig production, not just one particular aspect. As I said, moving into the wieners, yeah, we've been providing lots of different sources of enrichment to pigs. We have a number of students working on that for a good while now. Yet again, the same types of enrichment going in out there over and above the, the baseline enrichment that we would have in the facility anyway. I suppose look, that's the biggest challenge. Look, what we were alluding to in, in the previous part of this conversation, obviously reducing pig numbers in the system and allowing for those efficiency gains really is an important component of the future and the future work we do, especially around intact tails. Stocking rate has a lot to do with that. And I think anecdotally, what I've seen myself throughout the unit in the last couple of years in those trials where we have alternated really stocking density versus enrichment type. And just to put numbers on it, we've had pens with eight pigs per pen and 10 pigs per pen and 12 pigs would be our kind of upper limit. Performance gain that you're seeing in those lesser densely stocked animals is quite exceptional. And look, that may be because we, I feel our diet is probably a little bit overpowered, but you, you can't argue with the fact that like we've single space wet dry feeders in our pens here. And I think once you get into double figures on those feeders, there, there is there's pressure on that feeder and pressure on the pigs to feed out of it. And if you can get into single figures, the, the ratio of feeder space, the pig works a lot better. The other side, I suppose, is anyone who came to the pig open days we held in May, both here in Moorpark and up in Cavan, but the ones especially who came to Moorpark would have got to see the new low emissions high welfare building we've just finished. So a lot of thought went into that. There's a lot of work going to go around that, I suppose, in the next number of years, really around the emission side, which is look a big factor for farms and also look at the high welfare side as well. And look, that will only help with rearing pigs with intact tails and that will obviously look quite closely at stocking rate and i think look, that'll give farmers something maybe extra extra over and above what they have now from the aspect of maybe unique selling points and from labeling and product information and being able to maybe command an extra premium over and above the current price for rearing pigs in maybe different to what is the conventional commercial systems in terms of labor in relation to these challenges do you see an issue there Yes, look, definitely labour. I don't think there's a pig producer or a farm manager in the country who isn't constantly preoccupied with, with labour. It's the, the country is running at an all-time high from an employment standpoint. There's very little uh, given the system. And pig production is a difficult area to attract people to work in. And it's difficult to pay, I suppose, very high rates to attract those people. And there's only a certain amount of really good skilled people in this sector. So the competition is high. In Moorpark here, we're quite lucky. We have a good cohort of students coming through the place and we don't rely on them for our core work, uh, but we do rely on them quite heavily for a lot of the experimental work. But look, we have to assist that as well. So it's a to and fro situation. We're okay for labour here now. We're lucky like we have a good mix of young staff and older staff. So a lot of experience and a lot of enthusiasm. And it's nice to have younger staff coming in with a fresh perspective and it keeps things progressing and moving. But like this unit here is no different than any other unit, but we're only one person on extended sick leave for a week or two away from kind of a, a labor crisis or being in the public sector. We can't, we can't 
you know, change our pay rates or increase our labor should somebody kind of say, look, they've got a better offer. So that's where we're kind of deficient. Look, but then if I go back to the building I just talked about, and we start to move towards maybe better work environments for or better environments for pigs to live in, and what comes along with that is better work environments for people. And I hope, you know, that that work in the new building and stuff would would maybe probably put a better spin on pig production and maybe make it more attractive and maybe open it up a bit more to a different cohort of people in the future. I think we'll leave it there as we've covered quite a lot today. I just want to say thanks to you both for joining me and I suppose giving us such an open and honest overview of the unit. Thank you, Amy. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. That's it for this episode of The Pig Edge. And thanks to Tomas and Ashling for joining me on the show. Don't forget to listen and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode. And for more information from the Pig Development Department, go to chagas.ie forward slash pigs and follow us on Twitter at at Chagas Pigs. Until next time, I'm Amy Quinn and thanks for listening.